0: Welcome to DT Madness Chronicles from the Third Life, Episode 57, April 29th, 2023. So glad you could make it. you Are from my era, and you ever listen to Sublime or know things about history? Then, anytime you hear April 29th, you might bust into 1992. There was a riot on the streets. Tell me, where were you? This past week has been crazy, uh, it's been super busy. The lead up to AP exams, construction continuing in the school. Um, baseball games and council meetings and all kinds of things. Last weekend, um, right before um, or right after the podcast was recorded, I went to Webstock. It is a street festival. This was our second year doing it. We had to push it back to 3 o'clock. It was supposed to start uh, just around noon or a little before. But with the forecast of storms and there did there was a storm that came through at, at right at two thirty, so it was a a good decision. But everybody was out at three and the first bands kicked off right around right around then. My my good friend Omar Porter was the MC and I mean vendors, different kinds of food trucks and um people selling like cool hippie scented candles and the Republican tent was out there, and like different woodworking stuff, and beads, and face painting, and I mean, just a uh, what I mean to say is all around, like something for everybody. Um, the beer garden was out, and the Greenway was running that, but and we expanded the area for people where they could go this time, uh, so you didn't have to stay quite as isolated, and we only had a few people that would wander out of the barriers, as you will. Um, but overall, it was just a really good. A really good setup, a really good event. And the first band was, I don't remember, 96-ish, but they had a bunch of different ways to spell it. Um, I think they were a local college band. I mean, it seemed like a lot of the Garden Web kids knew who these people were. And I didn't know like many of the songs that they were playing. Uh, wasn't really my music and it took them a bit to get warmed up. But once they did, they did uh, sound pretty good and they did sing one song. I I looked up who it was, but I can't, I can't remember. Maybe it was like Kings of Leon or something like that. Is that, is that a thing? Um, But the lyrics were something about Stacy's mom has got it going on. And I don't know. That was funny and and fun. It was a good time. Um, The who else played, there was a band called Rutherford County line and they played some, Some classic Almond Brothers type, you know, Marshall Tucker band type stuff and sang some Chris Stapleton, I think maybe in an Isbell song, just gritty, really good. And then the Phoebe's band, uh, which is like a throwback. They all dress up like Jimi Hendrix from the 70s, kind of, and then play a bunch of cool soul music. Uh, And then like there was this band called uh, Cassette Rewind, and they all dressed up like You know, 80s with with bright blue blazers and uh, like silky looking like Don Johnson type stuff, I guess. I don't know. Revenge of the Nerds kind of feel. And I mean, they were they were great. I mean, they had their synthesizers and and they had it going on. Man, I actually left before Chatham County line, which is crazy uh, because that was the main draw. But it was just such a long day. I honestly had woken up with a pretty nasty headache and and had to just kind of gut it through. Um, but it was really, it was really good. And and we're looking forward, um, looking forward to, to next year's web stock, I think already the next day, I I guess one of the reasons why I left early is because I knew the next day I was headed up to Boone. Um, I left early and drove up to the parkway. I had intended to do my meditation practice up on the parkway. I was going to I took my big towel and I was going to sit out on a patch of grass you know, on an overlook somewhere. And, um, but man, it was cold. It was windy. And so, yeah, that wasn't going to happen. I sat out there a pretty good while, um, and took in the views. And then I just went to McAdoo's and had some lunch and then, uh, met up with Sam a little bit to get him some, some green tea before he sang it up. And, uh, But that was really, that was really cool. I will say, man, that I was walking along. I I, I thought about, maybe I should save this for halftime, but I guess I'll uh, make halftime short and just go ahead with this. But I was walking across the crosswalk. And you know the little walking man, like the, the, the white light that says it's time to go on those crosswalk signs. And as soon as it clicked over from the red hand to the white walking man, it, it. There was a, a car that had just passed by that was stopped and they were blasting Billy Jean and it had just come on, you know what I'm like Do, do oh man. And it wow, it really just hit and I was I've never walked across a walk like that, a crosswalk like that, with that much swagger, you know, like I was I was strolling across that crosswalk. And that was pretty good. And then we went and we saw Sam and his group sing uh, a bunch of different songs from their whole year. And they, I mean, they just killed it. It was awesome. Uh, that's what you say in acapella land. You When they sing good, you say they killed it. Um, and so, but they did, man. It was just really good. And they did these skits in between. Um, they sent their seniors off. And, and one of the things that uh, their president, Adam, was, um, he, he Sam actually just was elected vice president for next year, but but the president Adam um, gave every one of them before one of their competitions. He gave them a plastic fork, and he told them to leave no chrome. And for a while, I didn't understand what that that meant. I try to stay up on the lingo, of course, um, because I'm bet. But what he was saying is, eat it up. You know, eat this thing up. Give it, give it all you got, um, you know. Do what we came here to do, and uh, that was pretty cool. They all gave him a golden fork at the end of of the thing. I took off right after um, to get back home, and uh, I mean, I stopped at Kilwins for some. Oh man, I got Trace late. No, what was it? I can't remember. Man, it was good though. I think that's what it was. There's a. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with Hamilton, the uh, the Broadway show, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, but um, there's a, you know, a lot of it is politics and revolution and stuff like that. And then there's this, there's this chunk of time where Hamilton goes through a whole bunch of different junk and his wife is, you know, going through the, the trauma of it all of, of the decisions. I don't want to ruin it for you. Um, But it just gets really heavy. It gets really personal. Um, And after, you know, after they deal with all of it, there's kind of a joke line where they say, can we get back to politics, please? And they just kind of want to climb out of that that dark hole. Um, But so, yeah. Of course, now it's tea time with... Mara and it's going to be tea time with Mara here uh perhaps for uh the remainder of the episode. Um and so I don't know maybe some of you out there are just wishing I would get back to to ranking um breakfast cereals, you know, or uh, talking about my favorite smells uh, or something like that uh and getting more onto the lighter side. But yeah, that's not where we are going to be today. So um I saw an Instagram thing, you know, one of those things that uh says trauma or major false beliefs, I guess, of people who have experienced trauma and there's a bunch of stuff like that out there. Again, I'm not like a a person that subscribes to Instagram therapy. I think that whatever. I, I I'm not trying to go down that rabbit hole, but but I clicked on this one just because I wanted to see what it had to say and it had six different things and and one of it was like I am unlovable, insignificant, and unimportant. There's something wrong with me. And if I let people in, if I let people know who I am, yeah, then they're gonna they're gonna know that. They're gonna run away. I'm powerless over how I feel outside events, outside people, like an external locus of control. Um, I'm responsible for other people's feelings. Like I, I need to make sure that they are feeling good and that they're the ones that are feeling okay, and and that I take that burden onto myself. I can control what others think of me. I can do things that will make them like me. Resisting others' control over me is essential to my integrity. I do the opposite often, even if I want to not to. Um, I can't handle pain, fear, or disconnection from others, and I try to control those via withdrawal or other activities or even addiction. And, wow, like, huh, six for six, you know? like. Yeah. Um, You know, back to Woodstock, not Woodstock, Webstock. I wish I was at Woodstock. Um, All these people, I mean, I'm the mayor, you know, and, and so I'm out there and I'm just walking around uh, making laps, you know, wanting to be visible as part of it. Probably a lot for my ego. I don't doubt that. Um, But also because I'm the mayor, I'm the representative of the town. And so I want to make sure the vendors see me. I want to make sure everybody gets, uh, you know, I I want to make sure if anybody has something to say that they know that I'm around. I walked definitely over 10,000 steps that day, just doing that. And all these people would come up to me I mean, people that I've known a long time, people that have known me my whole life, people that I just met, people that know who I am and know who my family is. And they would come up to me and they would, they would ask me, you know, how's your dad doing? And they would, they would, Whispered to me things you know that they didn't want someone else to to hear about what they thought about uh the situation with with my dad and and then they would uh they would talk about how great Webstock is and how awesome this is and how I, i've done a great job and and i told my manager and all this kind of stuff like i i don't want to take all that credit on myself because i very i do very little in terms of that other than kind of help set like a, a a direction but you know again that's part of a part of being it, and so all these just different random people would come up, you know, one at a time, and I can do that kind of thing. It's draining for me to engage in that type of talk, but i can, I'm, I can do it. I'm I'm pretty good at it. But I recognize, like I don't know, I was standing there, um, kind of in my spot, right in the middle, in front of the Broad River Greenway office, like where I would just stand. Once I was stationary, I could hear the music, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And and I realized that I was, man, I was just completely alone in this sea of people, more people than we've had in gather in downtown Boiling Springs in over 20 years. Uh, it was said to me that maybe since we had the Olympic trials for um, bicycles, for, uh, you know, bicycle racers in 96, has that many people gathered so it was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and yet man i just had this over i mean not like overwhelming but <clears throat> this sense that just washed over me you know that i'm i'm completely alone and so i i went to my counseling session at living lotus and, and i wanted to talk about that like i wanted to talk about this aloofness this what is, what is Neil Young seeing in Unknown Legend, this, this faraway look, you know, that I get? And <clears throat> where does that come from? And, and, you know, is that something that I put up before I go out there? Does it, does it, does it happen once people begin to approach and, and these types of things? But <clears throat> the question that my person asked was, how old do I feel? when I get into that defensive posture. And that, you know, that really, it really struck me. Um, Somebody asked me this week, you know, if I felt like counseling was just kind of telling me what I already knew about myself or if it was really something new. And I guess in my experience, i think the answer to that is yes you know i think that the purpose at least for my counselor is knowing that this stuff is all in, in me that i do know it like in in my experience it's that my body knows it because where we start is with sensory motor so i i i feel i i remember in my body what that feels like that defensiveness that aloofness where those layers are from and and so when she asked me how old I felt, like it's just one of those striking questions like, oh, man, I didn't know that was where we were going to go with this. Um, I honestly went into the session thinking, hey, we can do 20 minutes of this session for me to practice these meditation skills that I'm working on. But yeah, that didn't happen. And at first I thought, you know what, maybe this goes back to the the sense of of divorce, you know, that I felt. After this church group that I was a part of, um, we call ourselves BRCC, <laughs> and I thought maybe that that was part of where it came from. And I didn't even consider the the idea that I was walking, and I, I didn't even consider it even during the session that that maybe part of it was this tightrope that I'm walking as as mayor of Boiling Springs at Webstock in this. Separation that I have from from Gardner Webb, which will be what we talk about in the second half today. Today's going to be a long one, but I realize that the the age that I feel when I feel that defensive aloof aloofness is is young, like little kid young, you know. And the question is, you know, what what is that? What is that kid? What does he want you to know? And uh, I don't know man, like I don't know if this is if this is too much this is, let me go back to this sixth thing maybe i um maybe I, I worry too much about what you're gonna think, but I suspect that there are at least one of you out there that deals with stuff too, and anyway, what does this kid want want you to know and and what he what he wants people to know what he wants? What he wants to be understood is that he's always had to be shiny. He's always had to put up this shiny exterior. And and that shine has been enough. Like That shine has been enough. That charm has been enough to win you over. I can win you over with it. I can. I'm good at it. But you don't know him. You, you don't know him, me. I'm the only one that can know that young kid. I'm the only one who can understand because... There's this door, you know, that 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 was that was opened and this this darkness put in, in inside and then it was locked away in, in the way that it it came in. And a visualization was that that door was just kind of on his gut, you know, on his stomach and that it was locked away and that there was this sense of fracture, like this fractured sense of being this fractured sense of self. And so there's this shiny. Let me show you who I am. Let me try to make you like me. Let me try to make you think that I'm good. He's a good kid, you know? And then that kind of translates into, to anger. I was in there sitting on that couch, you know, punching my palms, like just, which is what my therapist looks for. She looks for those types of sensory motor activities and then, you know, what's, What's he angry about? You know, he's angry at having to live these splintered lives. He's angry at having to put up this front of having to have that junk locked away for 40 years. (laughs) getting angry now. And then it's like, you know, what, what does it mean for me now? Because when I read these six things on Instagram and I go through these sessions, um, you know, at Living Lotus, and I think like trauma, this this type of trauma that happened to me when I was a kid has defined me for for my life. It has been a huge reason why I act, why I believe, why I think, why I respond the way that I do. And so what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me now? Are those chains my chains? what does it mean for me to nod in acceptance of being loved of playing at the creek because that was that was kind of the the visual that i got when i think about this little kid like who am i if i'm if i'm healed you know so quote unquote if i'm more fully me if i'm whole then what does that mean for me how does that i trust that i trust that process i don't I just don't know right now, you know, like that's part of this, this journey. Because when I did recognize the little kid, like, I I don't know if you can understand what I'm saying here, but um, when I, when I think about that little kid, when I recognize him, when he sees that I recognize, when he understands that someone understands, even though it's just me, you know, while there was a wild therapy session, it was gut-wrenching. Uh, Something that I think is still, I think I'm still processing it, which is maybe why I'm just going to ramble on for a while today. But when I recognize him down there, what, all he can do is nod, you know, but that just little snaggletooth nod, smiling, you know, like, yeah, okay, let's go play at the creek. Because that's it. It's too much for him to try to cognitively process that he wasn't old enough. He just nods, you know, with that cotton head and that snaggletooth smirk. He just nods, and then he goes down to the creek, wanting, longing, yearning to be free. Well, that's kind of an abrupt halftime, I know, and uh, I didn't play the tea time with Mara music because we'll jump back in here in just a second, but, but just for a quick halftime to get your wheels turned. And I will say that this past week, April 24th, 1999 was my panicversary. I talk a lot about fish here on the Chronicles of the third life because um, since 2020 and since fish radio started, you guys know this, like I, that's pretty much all I listen to. And in just a few months, I'll be off on the road. I hope hitting up a bunch of shows, but but my whole second life, like for 20 plus years, starting in April of 99, I was a widespread panic guy. And I saw them the first time in, at Charlotte Center City Fest. And uh, so, yeah, I always celebrate that. Um, my friend Nora was there uh, like as a 15 year old. I didn't know her at the time, but it was her first show as well. So um, we always cheers to our panic anniversary but, but the real thing about halftime this time is as a question that's just been... It's one that we've been debating all week, and I've been debating with some of you on Instagram. But the question is, how many chuggas before choo-choo? And there are some of you who would say two, you know, chugga-chugga-choo-choo. And okay, but I don't feel like you're really feeling it. Because for me, it's definitely six, you know? Some people say four, and that just doesn't feel balanced to me. Chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-choo-choo. I, I, I don't know. If you're really going to feel it, if you're really going to get that. Chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-choo-choo. Did I to do six there? I think I did because it felt just right. So how many? How many do you got? Is it more than six? I don't think so. Unless your train is really starting off slow and then picking up steam. The second half, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read a thing that I wrote, and uh, it's uh, something I may post on Facebook. Although I I may video post it, you know, like I might record myself reading it so that people can get the tone. Um, But we'll see. Um, I'm just gonna read it to you here. Eat them up, eat them up, go dogs, go. That's the way I remember it. Sitting on what is now the visitor side, watching the running Bulldogs play against Sac Eight opponents in the NAI at Spangler Stadium. I remember names like Eddie Wilkins and Stan Easterling and Brad. What was his last name? He was number 14 and Angie Black and getting to be the kid that got to wipe up the sweat at the brand new Paul Porter Arena in the LICC. I remember the Special Olympics at the stadium when my mom was helping Lonnie Proctor with that amazing event and maybe a class field trip to watch the Blue Angels fly. I remember how to swim how I learned how to swim in the garden web pool. I can still imagine the smell of those locker rooms and the jolt of the cold showers before hopping in the warm pool. At least one of my birthdays was a pool party there and it's memorable because me and the boys had to march from campus house to the pool in about, I don't know, eight inches of snow. I wanna say that was in 88. Somebody can check and see if we had a big snow in January of 1988. I had the fastest bike in the neighborhood for sure, and I'd ride down the hill toward the spring, stopping to catch crawdads under the White Lattice gazebo, and then race along the track of sidewalks around campus. We'd park the bikes and visit mom in the business office or financial aid and get candy from those wonderful folks in those buildings. We'd stop off at campus police to see my dad on on the rare occasions he was working in the daytime. My parents were fixtures on campus for decades and decades. After my 7th grade year, we moved out of the apartment at Campus House and into a house on Memorial Drive, but it was still campus housing. When I tell people I grew up on campus, some may not know how literal that is. After graduating from Crest in 1996, I enrolled at Davidson College. After a difficult year, though, I returned home to what would become my alma mater, Gardner-Webb University. Of course, we went sledding on cafeteria trays and, well, I guess I better not tell that whole story. I served in student government and made pleas for increased community among all groups on campus. I developed relationships with professors such as the brilliant Dr. Henderson, the cerebral Dr. Hembright, and the inimitable Dr. Eastman. And after too long of a delay, I gleaned from the intellect of Dr. Yelton. I was a history and political science guy, so that's where I spent my time, but Tracy Jessup and Dr. Theato and oh man, how much did Dr. Partain change my perspective with his grace and knowledge? And then I took a philosophy class with Dr. Karskaden. What a human being. I'm still driven by some of the questions from that course and am influenced and enlightened by his existence. And what's even better, the study group that formed from that class happened to have a girl named Sarah Donaldson. After a few months of studying. Sitting on the swing outside, strapped together, playing spades, taking road trips, and having exquisite dates at the Waffle House or the campus calf, I asked her to marry me. And lucky for me, she said yes. We got married on June ninth, 2001, and we got married, you guessed it, on campus. My long-haired, barefooted self walked into Willie Nelson singing Blue Skies as my bride came around in a horse-drawn carriage around Lake Hollifield, as the bell tower chimed. It was at sunset, and the whole scene was magical. Since then, I've gotten my master's at Gardner-Webb. I've served as an adjunct professor for a year, teaching education classes, and Sarah and I, along with our three kids, served as college pastors for dozens and dozens of Gardner-Webb students over the years. Wednesday nights, you could find us all gathered at our house talking about campus and life and scarfing down lasagna. And then, the great divorce. You may know, you may not, but after 43 years of service to Gardner-Webb, my dad was let go, unceremoniously let go. Walked in on a Monday morning to find out he needed to pack up his office. I'm honestly not here to bring all that back around again, but it's a real thing. Because of other struggles that I am working through, I went over to campus a few days ago. I parked at the clubhouse in the parking lot in front of the apartment I stayed in as a student and the clubhouse that held the rehearsal dinner for my wedding. I peeked in the clubhouse to remember that stormy, rainbow-laced afternoon that marked the last day before marriage. I walked around the lake, the same way that my bride rode along in a horse-drawn carriage. I stopped by Tucker to remember the few classes I held in that building as an adjunct. I walked down to the creek, which looks a lot different than it did in the 1980s, but it's still the same spring source that I sauntered around as a kid. I stood. I took in the view and all that it represents. I pondered. And I realized that the divorce isn't just about my dad. I realized that as a result of that, there was a tear in my own fabric. I was born into Gardner-Webb. My dad was working a running bulldog basketball game the night my mom went into labor. My entire life, over four decades, had been intricately woven into the red and black, into prodeo et humanitate, and then all of a sudden, it just wasn't. Part of what makes that strange and difficult is that I'm the guy. (laughs) What I mean to say is that I was elected to town council in 2015, and after several months of listening and learning from some phenomenal leaders, I began to help steer the path of the town. I was an effective council member. I longed for consensus. I'm a good listener, and I strive to synthesize differing viewpoints to help make the best decisions for all involved. I I really do. And as best I can tell, I think I'm doing a pretty good job as mayor. I was elected to this position in 2021 and have done the best I can to keep folks informed and to create unity and forward movement. I've said it before, I'm about as Gardner-Webb and Boiling Springs as one can be. I'm in a position to be able to help tie these institutions, institutions that have defined me, together. I've been around to support the theater program and the arts and attended book discussions on campus with students and have done my best to be forgiving and to signal my willingness as mayor to serve the town and the university. There are obstacles for sure, and there are personality differences, but as best as I can tell, that just seems to be how life is. I can't deny my history the terrific and the terrible. I'm a product of the wonderful people of Boiling Springs and at the same time of the fine folks of Gardner-Webb. And I am resolved to move forward. I'm resolved to seek ways that I can create relationships with the students, faculty, and staff on the campus that has served as my home. I'm resolved with what little power and influence I possess to engage in the enhancement of my home as a way to pay it forward. Because so many people along the way have helped me find and enjoy my path. I want to do what I can to smooth out the ground for those that follow. Prodeo et Humanitate, for God and humanity. One town, one university, one community. So we'll see. Maybe I'll post that or maybe I'll go down and record it sitting by the spring so people can hear the tone. I wear a shirt that has the word yawp on it, Y-A-W-P. If you haven't seen Dead Poet Society, you should watch it. And even if you don't, you should read Walt Whitman's Song of Myself. I believe this one's in number 52. It's 51 or 52 or 53, somewhere around in there. But he says, I too am untamable. I too am untranslatable like a hawk. I sound my barbaric yawp over the rooftops of the world. And I think about life and I think about all that it gives. And I think about all that it is for me, for you, for all of us. And I just want to scream this from the u- u- rooftops. I just want to yawp, not even in anger, but just in existence. Like Bobby Weir sings, listen to the thunder shout. I am. I am here. And I yawp. Monday is the... Monday is the uh, AP government exam. And so I gave the kids a a speech um, a little bit, kind of briefed them up a little bit on the, the, you know, the practice of the exam. And then I I told them to embrace the challenge. You know, I'm I'm not giving them the speech such as to say, it's just a test. Don't worry about it. It's okay. They've done the work. Embrace the challenge. They'll feel the things, you know, they'll feel the things. No doubt. They'll, some of them will feel like they want to throw up and some of them will want to cry and they might want to run around. That's what I would want to do. I'd want to move and fidget, you know, but everybody's feeling that and that's okay. Feel that. That's good because you have put yourself out there. You have sought out this challenge. Now embrace it. I put up a picture of my oldest boy, Sam, who's just exhausted sitting on a tennis court and I, I gave him this this speech a little bit. That was, you know, a lot of times. Sam, he was just elected vice president of of voicemail. And sometimes people will make comments, and I make the comments like, "Man, this kid has been on quite a winning streak." You know, he's he's succeeded in tennis, valedictorian. He got the Dover scholarship, whatever. Like he, you know, he he gets the solos and all this kind of stuff. But you know what? When he was in ninth grade playing tennis, his appendix. Uh, Almost ruptured and he had to have it removed at the same time he had the flu. And at the same time, he experienced his first heartbreak. Tenth grade, he played one match of tennis and then COVID shut our world down. You know, 11th grade uh, back into it and we're playing tennis and he's having a successful year. And they lost to their friends. Like, what an agonizing defeat. In the conference championship. And then that happened again his senior year. The same kind of thing. Other heartbreak that he has experienced. Along the way. I I, I just wanted to be fair to. My son. And recognize that it isn't always. You know whatever like. And then always a smooth sea. You know. Sometimes things are choppy. But we do our best to overcome. We do our best to. Embrace the challenge, we do our best to make our ripples, and then I told him, you know, I told him what i, I stole Adam uh his thing about leave no crumb, you, know? leave no crumb, eat this junk up, go after it with what you got. You are prepared, you are already outstanding. There is no way that I can be um more proud of you because the thing I realize about all of this kind of stuff the thing i Maybe, maybe part of the things I'm punching my palms about is that for all of my life that I can remember my value and my worth, I have placed in your hands. I want you to think that I am good. I want you to think that I am successful. I want you to think that you know I'm valuable and worthy and I'm good at that. That shiny part of me makes that happen. But that's that's bogus because my value and my worth doesn't come from what you think. I don't have to tell you that, but that's what I do. And I want these kids to understand that that isn't, it isn't about a test that defines them. It isn't about what uh, somebody else thinks. Comparison is a thing. It just is a thing. And that's okay as far as it goes. But you are already outstanding. So leave no dadgum crumb and don't take yourself so seriously. I got an email from my town manager uh, about Webstock as he was going fast and he left off the R in mayor. And so it says Mr. Mayo. I told him if it was Dukes, that was fine with me. I'd be Mr. Mayo. But these are great kids. I know many of you that listen to this podcast and I know you're. You're great people because you are. <laughs> just because you are, you exist. You're here. Let that yawp roar. To those of you who see me for all of me, even when I can't, and yet you still want to be around, I'm saying you see me for more than just the shiny. You, you know my flaws. You know how much of a jack uh, leg I can be. thank you. Thank you for, for sticking around. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm coming to realize and I'm trying to realize, I guess, I don't know that I'm there yet. But what I'm trying to realize is that we don't have to know each other fully to be present, to be authentic. Thankfully, because we couldn't, you know, that's why, you know, the Thoreau quote of seeing someone You know, uh, being able to see through another's eyes, if only for an instant, would be quite a miracle. Because we can't, there's only so far we can go in terms of our knowledge of each other. But we do have a shared experience. This thing, humanity, you know, this thing called life. So we don't have to know each other fully to be authentic, to eat this thing called life, you know, to eat it up. And I'm working on believing and be living that. Well, this has been a Church of Six production, for sure. Man, I don't know what what are we brought to by the Bucket of Life. Got to be the lead sponsor this week with the Ripples. By the foundation tower of stone for all of those of you who have been with me You know Who have raised me up By the token of hope you know, By the magic rock Times two And by the wall of belief Which I think might get a new quote or two But Definitely Leave no chrome. Eat them up. Because nothing divine is desperate. Don't forget to believe, y'all. And be live. Peace, my friends.